Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Well, good evening, and welcome to the Titanic. (laughs) We are just like that great ship. We are huge, we are expensive, and everybody wants us to go a lot faster. So we will try to do that tonight. Are you ready to go to a real party? It's a wonderful night for Oscar, 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 who will win? G'day everybody and welcome to Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that looks at the best picture winners throughout history from the beginning of it all starting back in 1927-1928. Uh, with Wings and Sunrise heading up all the way to the most recent Best Picture winner. Uh, My name's Andrew Pierce, and I'm joined by a guest who has reluctantly joined me to do this podcast for however long he uh, submits to it. Uh, So welcome, Dave. Yeah, I think that that takes me out of the term guest. I think that's probably it. You're the Um, co-host. You're the co-host. Yeah. yeah. uh, (laughs) Yes. But I'm uh, David Giannini um, from... Way far away, probably for most of your listeners in Australia, in far away lockdown America. Well, this is a global podcast. So I'm Australia, you're America. I figured this is because this is about the Academy Awards, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which up until 2018 was a very American centric, uh, you know, Academy. And then they decided to recognize that the rest of the world exists and gave it to a film, not in the English language. But I figured, you know, it's a global institution. It's, it's the pinnacle of uh, cinema, I guess, the, the, the peak of cinema. If you're a filmmaker, you always want to win an Oscar. Um, and as a film lover, you always tend to pay attention to the Oscars. So I guess in this particular uh, first one, we just want to touch on what the Oscars mean to us and uh, what their relevance is to us. So, Dave, what's your history with the Academy Awards? Yeah, I think as far as like what it means to me, its relevance, I think it, you know, and maybe this is more about me than the Oscars, but it seems to change every year, my kind of attitude towards it. But like probably my strongest memories of the Oscars are back when people like Billy Crystal were hosting it, uh, when it was like the thing to watch, like for everyone. Like it's one of those things where in recent years, the Oscars have definitely like gone down as far as how many people are watching, how many people are paying attention. Uh, and there are some years where I'm like, the Oscars don't matter. This is stupid. Why am I even watching this? Doesn't mean I ever don't watch it. I'm still there for the entire like seven hour telecast regardless. But I think it's very easy to get cynical about the Oscars. And I think sometimes the more we know about the process, sometimes the worse that feeling gets. Um, Because I think, you know, one of the things we talked about behind the scenes is, you know, thinking about like whether these movies still matter and whether it really that film really was like a momentous achievement in cinema, because that's what Best Picture is supposed to be, like something that stands out above the rest. And there's so 
there's so many politics that go into not only choosing the best picture winner, but even who gets nominated. Uh, and there's lots of times that, you know, the greatest picture of that year is nowhere near getting nominated. I mean, and the perfect example for me um, of just last year of 2018, 2019 is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I think is one of the greatest movies ever made period um and that because of because it was a uh, you know a film not made in america and you know that tends to not get publicity unless it makes a bunch of money at the box office or if it gets pushed by its home country which it didn't for reasons of misogyny um so that can tend to get a little cynical but Still, every year when the Oscars are on, man, it is so much fun. Even when there's no host, even when the host sucks, it's still like, oh, I get to I get to experience this year all over again. And for people like you and me that watch a lot of movies, a lot of new releases, it's not for me. It's not just two wins. It's that celebration of the year in film and the things you really loved and the things that misfired for you and the things that you missed and you get to see it kind of all in one night. Um, but I. I do wish that sometimes there was a way to go back and take a look at the movies that didn't win. Because a lot of times, you know, the movie that wins the best Oscar to a lot of people, including you and me, there are moments where you're like, yeah, but actually the, the other nominees were so much better. Like, what are we doing? You know, the most obvious example of that that we'll get to in, you know, 19 years uh, when we finally get close to modern times in this is, you know, watching something like Crash. That one best picture that is maybe the most reviled best picture of all time. Like, it's certainly of, of recent years. Um, so, like, you know, sometimes it's great because a, a movie that maybe not a lot of people saw gets that win and then it gets that push and more people see it. But sometimes there are great movies that fall by the wayside because, it you know, Academy Award nominated doesn't have the same luster as best picture winner fill in the blank here. Yeah, well, definitely. And that's part of what this whole entire show is about, is looking at the winners that, that have come in the past. And, you know, there are certain films like Gone with the Wind or Casablanca, which are, you know, undeniable classics and great films Never in heard their of own them. right. But they're, well, yeah, exactly. Never heard of them. No idea what they are. Um, but they're, they're, they're held up high for, for certain reasons. And then the other ones tend to be forgotten. And for me, that was always the, like, I came to the Oscars probably in, uh, well, my first Oscars that I know that I sat down and paid attention to and watched was the, the Titanic Oscars. And getting to see all of that and understand the enjoyment and the, the sheen and the the pure excitement that comes with winning an Academy Award, watching people who never expected to hold this golden statue in their hands just stand up there and being in awe of the the honor and the privilege to have this bestowed upon them by their, their peers. Mom, Dad, there's no way that I can express to you what I'm feeling right now. My heart is full to bursting, except to say... I'm the king of the world! It's, um, it's a pretty tangible thing to see and to experience because you are getting that kind of giddiness from them if that's a film that you love. And on the same hand, if it's something you don't like, then, you know, 
that that disappears. Like it didn't take long for me to get to the year like after Titanic who had um, the Shakespeare in Love win as well. And that was where I was like, well, I love Saving Private Ryan. How on earth could this film? And I like Shakespeare in Love as well. But, you know, there was that anger and that frustration. And that's my relationship with the Oscars as it is for many people. It's that anger of frustration and recognition that this is a group of people all voting for something. And the politics does come into it and the voting does come into it and their personalities come into it. And maybe even, well, I worked with this guy on that film, so I have a good relationship with him, so therefore I'm going to vote for this film. Which takes away the importance of the the best picture winner, possibly. Um, And that might be something we come to discover as we go along. But um, for me, I think it's an important aspect of film history. But I I want to... um, I want to, uh, you know, notice as well that there's also the Cannes Film Festival is probably the the equal uh, European film festival that has a similar stance uh, alongside the Oscars where they celebrate such great diversity in films and stuff like that. And sometimes there's a crossover with Parasite winning as well uh, at Cannes as it did at Academy Awards. But it's just a, I don't know. I, I'd like to see what the peers and the uh, the people who make films think was the best film of that year. And it doesn't always agree with me, um, but it helps educate what how I see that they're making films in some way um, and what they deem to be important for that particular year. And sometimes there is a logical importance to it and sometimes there's a illogical importance, uh, which we'll find as we come along, because I think that there are some films, like the first ones that we're going to discuss in the first episode, where they come after something so major and so devastating like the First World War and they actually talk about that in some way and they make it, you know, certainly a very relevant to the time piece of cinema Um, and it talks to the the time they're living in, which, you know, the most recent winner as of recording is Parasite, which is, you know, after the year we've just had and the year that we're currently in, we're currently recording this in 2020, that's a very relevant film that talks about the time that we live in. That's why it's so important. And that's what I'm interested in. That's what interests me about the Academy Awards is their relationship with society as a whole. I don't always think that it means that it's the best picture, though. Uh, I don't always think that the people voting for it think that it's the best film, but maybe it's just the one that means the most at that time. Do you think that's the case at all? Yeah, I think I think there's there's definitely some truth to that, but I think there's also um, there's also the aspect that you kind of brought up uh, briefly is this idea of oh, I worked with them, I like them, um, or that person is owed. That's that's someone who's worked really hard for a long time. And a lot of times you'll get that with the individual awards like Best Director and Best Actor. But I think it also comes up in Best Picture because you have this momentum, you know, of like, well, it won, it's getting Best Actor, it's getting Best Actress, it's getting Best Director. How can we not push it for Best Picture as well? The other thing that interests me that I was thinking of while you were talking and we were kind of, you know, making reference to these older films is like, man, it... It had to be much easier to make these awards in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s than it does now, just with sheer numbers. Like, there were just less movies being made, whereas now, I mean, maybe not now, because as you mentioned, we're in the midst of early 2020 where nothing is coming out. But usually, I mean, there could be up to like 10 to 20 movies that come out every week. (laughs) 
<laughs> during the year and we have 52 weeks during the year and like you can't possibly and then like of course there's the idea of ranking art and how impossible that is anyway um so when you combine the fact that you have thousands of movies coming out and the idea that art is all subjective it's so difficult to to rank them and make awards for them when you have so many but if you have you know 20 movies that come out in a year then it gets a little easier <laughs> it's kind of like oh okay i guess uh these five are the are the best uh it becomes a little more focused that way um but yeah it'll be interesting to see a lot of things one of them that you mentioned this idea of like okay what does this say about us as a film culture during that time and also, and I think we'll get into this specifically on this episode, is the idea of how much film has changed from 1927 to 2020. Um, and the idea that I think sometimes it can feel like, even though we love movies and we'll never stop watching them, it can feel like, okay, it's, we know what can be done with the, with this medium. Right. We know it can be done with film. We've we've had, you know, a hundred years of of this process, you know, as far as the as far as the awards go. So we kind of know what's coming, whereas in the late 1920s, like almost everything that could be put out is like, oh, my God, we've never seen anything like this before. So it's going to be interesting to, interesting to see how. Similar stories and similar styles get retold over the years. And if we see any themes come up from 1927 to 2020, and I'm sure we will. Yeah, well, I think so. And and there, there certainly will be a lot of firsts. And that's and that's part of the reason why I want to dive into these films. In, and part of the reason why this show is called Awards Don't Matter is that it's around the Oscar season, especially if you engage in hashtag film Twitter, um, there is a there is a, a a real pushback from a lot of the audience out there who is very much like, ah, the Oscars don't matter anymore because you know they don't reward the right films. And yeah, you're right, as you said, they didn't they didn't reward Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and they didn't even nominate it for anything. And that is one of the best films certainly of all time. And yet, it's not considered an Oscar worthy film. So does that mean that the award doesn't matter? Well, we're not going to look into that aspect as such, but. What I do want to touch on is, does this particular film, does this prize bestowed upon this film mean that this film matters forever? Does it matter just for a short period of time or does it matter forever? Because I know that certainly for some films, as soon as you bestow the award on them, uh, they suddenly, there, there becomes this prestige to it that actually dulls the film down and and really makes it, a lesser film. Take, you know, and controversially maybe so, but Green Book, for example. I don't think it's the worst film ever. I enjoyed it when I watched it. But as soon as it wins Best Picture, you're like, no, not that film. Like, that doesn't... That's that's not worthy of it. Like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good, but not that good. And so, does it matter as a winner? Is it important? Well, we'll get to that one eventually, but that's what I want to touch on. And and whether that's a societal thing, whether it's because of the importance that a certain film had in film history or setting a template for films to come or creating a, a style of language in the cinema or something like that. If something major happened, um, again, bringing up It Happened One Night, like that, that film birthed a whole entire character of Bugs Bunny. So... It, you know, speaking too soon, but it's definitely important in that regard. It does matter. And so 
what I want to come to at the conclusion of each episode is basically deciding, is this film important enough to carry on in the, the pantheon of film history? And this is coming from uh, two people who know everything about film history. We are geniuses. Obviously, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Faultless, yes. I think, you yeah. know, something you're bringing up is is really interesting to me uh, because of this idea of Green Book, which I've made no secret about the fact that I despise that movie and I think it's yeah. terrible. I'm one of those people. Um, but I think, and I think we'll see this as we go through the movies, there were certainly a time when crowd pleasers or like some of the biggest movies of the year were kind of like those were the ones that were going to get nominated for Oscars again because there were so few movies out and it's slowly the Oscars has slowly transformed at least during certain periods where like oh no only the important movies the art films these are the ones that we want to celebrate and then we'll have we'll have pushback and this always happens like we'll have like 10 or so years of like yeah let's push the art films and then we'll get like yeah but we gotta we gotta get a crowd pleaser in there we gotta get at least one winner that gets you know that gets the public persona you know and it you know there's good and bad about both of those things there's good and bad about quote unquote only the important films getting nominated because it does it does negate the fact that as a visual medium, it's also a social process that's going on. And you do want to celebrate movies that really connect with an audience. Like, and I think Titanic, which you brought up, is kind of the perfect example, I think, that tries to bridge the gap between the two. Um, like, I think it is just a tremendous film, a tremendous production. It's well acted, well directed, well written. But it's also, you know, they also cast Leonardo DiCaprio at the kind of the height of his matinee powers at that time so you were going to get big audiences to come in too so that kind of threaded the needle but that type of threading the needle is so rare usually you're not going to see a movie that like everyone in the industry talks about as a great film but also makes you know a billion dollars at the box office like right now in the late you know 2000 teens and 2020s we are still in the midst of you know the marvel cinematic universe and the comic book movie phenomenon and i don't think those thread that needle they definitely are crowd pleasers but with very few exceptions these are not the movies that the academy is going to fawn over right uh so it'll be interesting to see how that changes from 1927 and kind of going through history because i think there was a time where the big crowd pleasers were also the films that were seen as important to the academy well, I mean, certainly looking forward to like the greatest show on earth and around the world in 80 days, which, uh, you know, I haven't seen those films yet. And that's part of the reason to do the show as well is that uh, as and and this is what I want to encourage listeners to do as well, is that this is a journey through film history. And again, coming back to the discussions about uh, the, the best picture and stuff like that off mic, I was mentioning that a lot of the discussions are surrounded the most recent films. So from the 2000s onwards. So we're talking about Gladiator, No Country for Old Men, Departed. Now they're important films and they're worthwhile discussing, but there seems to be this forgetfulness about the fact that there was at least 80 years prior to that of best picture winners. And that's what I'm interested in as we go through and get to see why films like The Greatest Show on Earth and Around the World in 80 Days win Best Picture. What is it that made them win Best Picture? Was it because they were so popular? Was it because they were the biggest film that year and so therefore people felt the need to award it? Who knows? We'll we'll get that we'll get to that in time. But 
I encourage listeners to at least listen along and watch the movies as we go along. We're only going to be doing these once a month, uh, so it's not going to be a strain of being like, i got to get to this next film in a fortnight. Hopefully, uh, if listeners are going to be watching along with us, um, you know, they'll be able to be prepared in advance. You've got a month to catch up on the films. And most of them are available. Most of the places we will, I won't, uh, certainly from my perspective, I won't try and put up where they are available because that does change frequently. But uh, if you use Letterboxd, uh, letterboxd.com, just check on there. There, are, There is functionality that is associated with Just Watch and you'll be able to find out where they are available, hopefully. Um, hopefully it's nearby you. And certainly some of these older films like Sunrise is available on YouTube to watch uh, and some of the earlier films are available on YouTube. I will say, I will say that I will say that when I went to look, um, Sunrise is available on YouTube in the United States, but you have to pay. Wings was free, um, so you know, make your choices. But yeah, I use <laughs> I use I use Just Watch. Um, that seems to be like a great little hub. You just type in the movie you want to want to find, and depending on where you live, it tells you where you can stream it for free, where you can rent it, and it's all pretty accessible um these are the these are the movies i was most concerned about because we're you know we're going back almost 100 years so i'm like oh are they so sometimes with movies like this like they'll be free everywhere and sometimes you have to search a little bit but these two i was able to find pretty readily which was nice Mm. so in that regard as well that's the other thing i want to talk about as we talk about i mean it's part of the point of this show is but um for you i'm curious what your interest is in this kind of film history. Uh, I know what it is for me. I I think it's vital to see uh, films from long way back, you know, 1920s, 1930s. I think it's important to understand those films and uh, not only understand them, but enjoy them. A lot of them are really great. There's some genuine classics back there. And I, I hope that through this podcast and through amplified discussions of older films, not just through us, but um, I hope that, People don't carry a stigma about old films just because they might be in black and white or they might be silent doesn't mean they're not good. It's just they're speaking a different language than what we're used to now. And that can be a little bit difficult to our Marvel eyes. Uh, You know, we're so used to the CGI (laughs) and stuff like that, which is fine. It's what we've been conditioned to appreciate. But there is a value in those kinds of films. So I'm curious for you what what it means to you to have this kind of film history. Is it important to dive into these old films? So this is, this whole podcast is a, is a case for me of uh, putting my money where my mouth is. Um, So I'm (laughs) one of those people who's kind of always like, Oh, you know, you should definitely watch older films. And I have a fair amount of knowledge, especially, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, which looks crazy. I think the 70s is 50 years ago at this point, because like it was something like I didn't grow up with movies in the 70s. Like I was born in the late 70s. But, you know, when I would go back and watch these great films in the 60s and 70s, I'd be like, oh, why isn't anyone watching these? Uh, and I think it's the same thing with movies from the 20s. But I am not versed in them. Like I, I could probably count the number of silent films uh, that I've seen on my fingers and toes. So this this is really this is this is something that is a blind spot for me and something I've been wanting to correct. And the other thing I've been wanting to do is just go back and watch all the Oscar winners because there's there's like a chunk. There's probably about I've probably seen about seventy to eighty percent of the Oscar winners, and certainly everything since the eighties I've seen. Uh, but going back, you know, there's some gaps there, and I think it is important to see what we as a film community thought was important 
throughout history. Um, so I think, you know, it, <laughs> bless you for only doing the winners because if I was oh, doing yeah. this podcast, I would probably I would be the asshole. Be like, oh, got to watch all the nominees too. Like, let's let's really let's really go for it. Um, which would be I interesting. Want this but show so to be completed. I want to get to the end of it. I just I just knew. Right. I considered that. I was like, oh, do we do the nominees as well? And I was like, no, no, I don't. Right. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> But I think, but I think, as a film watcher, I think film history should always be important to you. Um, I think if you are going to be a jerk and call yourself a cinephile, like you need to do the research uh, because you know you, you mentioned film Twitter earlier, and there's plenty of times, and there's a lot of young people on film Twitter, and I welcome that youthful energy. I think it's great that there's so many like teenagers and twenty somethings who are really getting into film, but. And I thank God Twitter was not around when I was a teenager because I would have been a nightmare. But um, there's a lot of instances, and this is a generalization. It's not true of every young person who loves film, but a lot of young people will watch a movie, uh, a modern movie, a movie that comes out this year and be like, oh, my God, nothing has ever been made like this before. And then anyone over 30 is looking at them like. Uh, have you tried these nineteen movies that it's that it's taking pretty liberally from? Like, let's, let's give you some context because I think that context is important. You know, we'll talk about it later. But like now, after seeing Wings, I think there is a context for a lot of war films going forward from nineteen twenty seven. There's a lot there, and I think it's important to know that stuff, and or at least to be intellectually curious about that stuff when you see something that wows you. After you get over the like, oh my god, I can't believe I just saw that, one of your first questions should be like, how did they do that? Where did that come from? Has it ever been done before? Because there's hundreds of years of filmmaking. That, like, <laughs> There's a lot of context to be had. You're never going to know all of it. You can never see every movie. You can never experience everything that cinema has to offer, especially now as it just gets bigger and broader and streaming and everything else. But think about how many opportunities you have to develop like kind of, you know, in in pompous terms, like a more refined palette for film. There's so much out there and so much to explore and discover. And especially right now, as we're all trapped inside our homes, this is the perfect time, man. (laughs) It's time to get that context. So I so I think that's important. Like, you know, when I was you know, when I was a teenager and. Uh, you know, Tarantino was making Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I had those moments of like, oh my God, no one's ever done this before. And then I had the kind of opportunity to read some interviews with Tarantino and say what you will about him, you know, as a person or as a filmmaker. The man loves film and he is very, he's very anxious to tell people about where his influences are. When I wrote Reservoir Dogs, um, on the title page of the script, not the title, the second page inside of the title page, I... Uh, I dedicated, dedicated. Like I said, you know, the following, uh, following inspirations, and uh, and I named, um, and I named a bunch of people. I actually wanted to put it at the beginning of the movie, but then I thought it was like too cheap to like, oh, like me because of who I like. All right, you know, kind of thing. So I thought it would work better without it. But uh, uh, it was definitely in the script. All right, to kind of just kind of let you know where. They- you know, and he does that very clearly and says like, this is where I stole this from. This is where I stole that from. Here's where you can find it. Here's where you can see it. And I think that's awesome that he is engaging his audience in a way that isn't just like, come worship me, but like, take a look at where I got this from. And that's that's the thing. I think that there there needs to be a uh, 
a guide to that the inspiration a a you know a, a tour guide to that inspiration and saying hey here's where i found this and this is why i made that and i think that's what we're going to get from these films as well and uh, you know a guide for certain filmmakers like there will be certain styles and and shots where we're like of course this is where that came from like i didn't know where that came from but now i've seen the originator of it um and that's the thing again coming back to what the academy awards means like i think especially as we near a hundred years of best picture winners um you know, and who knows whether they'll have one next year or not. But uh, as we near a hundred years of Best Picture winners, like that, that that will be a hundred films, which catalog a period of time in a way that has rarely been done in film history. And uh, I think that's pretty important. And that's like again bringing back to the whole point that we're doing one of these a month. So if anybody does mental arithmetic pretty well, that's about seven years from now. So you know. It's a long while away. Um, so fingers crossed if we stick around and do this thing, I have I have high hopes for us. Uh, we will do it. Um, but mostly because I'm, I'm very interested in seeing all of this uh, and discussing it as well. I think there is a, a great importance to that. Um, but I'm curious to see at the end of this, when we reach, get to that point, we have that breadth of knowledge and understanding. We've gone through a hundred films and have understood the the language and the the stories that the academy awards are trying to tell and maybe at the end of all of this we can ask a question and say you know does the academy awards matter what they what they have said what they have deemed to be the best 100 films of this 100 year period do these films matter are they important and uh have they cataloged film history in a valuable and necessary way um and you know it is worth mentioning as you said like we're not going to go into the the other nominees and stuff like that i i think there are certainly podcasts and and discussions out there about that who do go into all of the nominees and who do go into uh you know who was the most suitable one i would love to do that it's just you know time is a is a real strain and stuff like that but I also think that um, it's worthwhile just looking at the winner. And, you know, as much as I would love to also look at who the best picture, like best actors and best actresses and stuff like that, if there is a winner in those categories uh, who was also in the best picture, then we'll discuss them naturally. It's it's part of the course of discussing the film. Um, but I, I don't know... Uh, how relevant that will be as discussions go ahead. We, you know, we'll find that out as we go along, I think is probably the best way of saying that. Um, but I'm curious, I'm excited to see where we go from here because these first two films uh, certainly have set us off on a good foot. Um, the next one, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, we'll get there when we get there. Um, so yeah, you're excited for this? I hope that's a real Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's news to me that there are other Oscar podcasts like that is upsetting. I thought we were the only ones that had this idea to talk about to, to talk we about are. the Oscars. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited about it too. I mean, you know, it's I may actually be that terrible person who decides like maybe I'll just watch all the nominees too, just to get a fuller like after I told everyone get a better film context. Like you should really so maybe I should you know you know practice what I preach a little bit because I think. You know, I think that'll help um, that'll help in the discussion of like, was this important? And, you know, I think it's also interesting to see the films that were remembered that 
don't win? And maybe, like, is that more impressive if a film stands the test of time even without the sheen and the luster of the awards? But it'll be really interesting to kind of go have our, like, little time travel through through cinema starting, you know, almost 100 years ago. Uh, and by the time we finish this, it might be 100 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. We might get we, there. We so. will certainly be 100 years old. And, you know, that's, that's well, for sure. Yes. Physically, we'll have gone through so much. And emotionally, we'll have gone through so much that we will physically be 100 years old. But um, hopefully, yes. uh, the listeners will join us on this journey, and then they'll look back at this first episode and go, what the, what are these people going on about? <laughs> but I, I do think, you know, I, I agree with you, uh, looking at the other the nominees um, is, is important in, in a certain way, especially when you look at some of the ones that didn't win, uh, your Citizen Canes and stuff like that. Uh, so important, so valuable, um, and yet... Uh, ignored um, and you know and there's certainly a few films along the way that uh, you know from from my perspective we recently on a different podcast that you host um, discuss ordinary people and that is certainly one of the films that has been kind of tarnished by the fact that it beat out what many people can perceive to be a better film and so that, in a way, does become part of the discussion about the film itself. And that, unfortunately, is just part of the Oscar narrative, is part of the critical narrative related to the film. Is it worthwhile because it beat this? Is it a less better film because it beat this? It was always going to be good. And, you know, a lot of these films we need to mention as well were created in a bubble where they never, ever expected to win a Best Picture. Like... You know, the, the, the consideration and the understanding of what an Academy Award winning film is, is kind of a recent thing in the grand scheme of things. Like, they only really started making Oscar bait films in the 80s. And certainly in the 80s, when you look at the Best Picture winners there, you know, uh, like Ordinary People in a way, like Rain Man, um, Terms of Endearment and uh, Driving Miss Daisy, these are all kind of Oscar baity films in a way. And so that's where that era came about to it. But... Um, most of the films weren't created with Oscars in mind. And that, this is something that's bestowed upon them. It's changed their history. It's changed their legacy. And that's what I'm fascinated by. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, great. All right, well, I think that's a good way to end this uh, first episode. Um, I haven't set up social media accounts for this place. So uh, where can people find you online, I guess, is the best point. Um, I'm sure once I do set up a social media account, I'll stick it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, I, uh, I I do podcasts other places. I am not monogamous with my podcasting. Uh, you mentioned an episode that you were on of my of my other show called A Podcast Directed By, where me and usual co-host Mike Deniston uh, take a look at a single director every month and kind of go through his or her filmography up to 10 movies and kind of talk about who they are as a director over five episodes. Uh, you can find that at directed by pod on twitter and if you want to follow my personal account it's at dave a giannini my last name is spelled g-i-a-n-n-i-n-i and i am found online at the curb au i usually tweet a lot about australian films and stuff like that and this is actually a bit of a strange thing because i don't like this is going to be virtually a whole entire podcast dedicated to not talking about australian film which is uh, both a sigh of relief and also breaking my brand but um what can you do? I mean, who uh, wants Oscars? to talk about that anyway? I mean, yeah, exactly. you know, Australian film. 
Come on. Yeah. What's there, like five movies? I mean, yeah, how can you yeah. talk and, about it more? And three of them have been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> good. Of them, 60% no, hit rate? Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, Mad Max Fury Road, you should have won. But anyway, it's fine. Um, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Uh, and uh, when I uh, do set up the Twitter account for this page, I will uh, stick that in the show notes. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back on the first episode talking about the two best picture winners, uh, Wings and Sunrise. And we'll explain in that episode why there are two Best Picture winners for the first Academy Awards and what that meant and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we'll ask that perennial question, do awards matter? Because uh, this is the show called Awards Don't Matter. And uh, it's a bit of a... Uh, what was the term I used? Bait? Uh, is that right? A clickbaity yes. kind of headline? <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless... A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Download... Greatest reviewers, that that kind of stuff. That's what people do nowadays. <laughs> All right, we'll see you in the next episode. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.